0: Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler and today I'm delighted to be talking to Dr Katie Bache about children's teeth in New Zealand and why as a general practitioner you need to get involved in children's dental health. Katie trained in Otago and graduated with a Bachelor of Dental Surgery. She then completed her specialist training through the University of Melbourne and the Royal Children's Hospital. She graduated with a doctorate in clinical dentistry, paediatrics as her specialty, in 2014 and was then awarded the Advanced Training Fellowship from the New Zealand Ministry of Health to complete her specialty training. Katie currently holds a part time paediatric dental consultant position at Green Lane and Starship Children's Hospital providing comprehensive dental treatment to a range of patients, including those with complex medical and dental histories. She works privately at Kids' Teeth in Meadowbank in Auckland. Welcome, Katie. Thanks, Louise. So let's start with a case. It's Friday afternoon and our last patient of the day is a fit and usually well three-year-old. They have a four-day history of spontaneous pain from the lower tooth. It is especially bad at night. The child has been unable to sleep to chew, hard foods, and has been acting out at kindy during the day. He is afebrile, but irritable, and has a slightly puffy cheek on the right-hand side. Katie, what do we need to do when we examine this child? Well, first, Louise, I think it's good just to get a general overview of You had to see how, how
1: the child's looking. Are they well in themselves? Often, they can be quite irritable and grumpy because they haven't had a great sleep in the last couple of days. Um, we always want to look at the extent of the swelling. Often uh, in young children, it's just a buccal space swelling that does respond really well to antibiotics. We want to make sure um, that the child is afebrile. There's no lymph node involvement and that there's no swelling noted um, in the submandibular area. Um, If you can go to look in the child's mouth, that's great. And you want to just palpate the sulcus and often you'll see a soft collection in that sulcus. We just want to check that there's no raised floor of mouth or, or sublingual or submandibular collection. Uh, in most cases, the gingiva will look quite red and inflamed and often the tooth will have an obvious lesion in it which will look like probably a black hole in the tooth. It's always a good idea if you can have a look at the other teeth as well, just to check how many other lesions are in the teeth. The initial management is obviously for the swelling. Um, we would recommend a seven day course of oral amoxicillin because there's no point of drainage for that swelling and to prescribe analgesics as required. It's a great time just to mention some oral hygiene practices and just check some of the sugars in the diet. Um, Because this child is three and needs a tooth out, there's no way they're gonna cope with local anesthetic and extraction in the dental clinic. So I would advise that you refer them to the pediatric dental services at your local DHB for triaging, um, probably marking it for an urgent triage. I'd get the nurse just to follow up with the family in a few days to check that the swelling is responding to antibiotics. Um, And of course, advise the patient that if the child does become febrile or the swelling's increasing or they're becoming markedly unwell, uh, to present to the emergency department at the hospital. You can always call the dental and maxillofacial health surgeon on call for advice
0: if you need to. So just talking about dental hygiene and problems in New Zealand generally, Can we just start with the definition of early childhood caries and what is the epidemiology in New Zealand? So early childhood caries is
1: basically one or more decayed, missing or filled teeth in the child under the age of six. The reason we focus on early childhood caries is these are the children that they are going to have large dental issues that in most cases will need a general anaesthetic to solve the problem. It's still the most common chronic disease in children and it is a preventable disease. It's a massive problem in New Zealand and probably around half of children in New Zealand will experience caries by age five. And as we've said, many of these will need a general anaesthetic, which is putting huge pressures on our public
0: health system. My understanding is there are certain groups in the community that are more at risk than others. What children are at risk and why are these children at risk?
1: Well, we know from a lot of our studies that children of Māori and Pacific backgrounds are more at risk. Um, just below 60% of Māori and 70% of Pacific children will experience caries by age five. Uh, those where parents' first language is English or those of uh, lower socioeconomic status can be more at risk. And I think a lot of this is probably due to education around preventive behaviours and access to care. Um, But I do want to be clear that this isn't a problem that's confined to one group of the population. We see children from all backgrounds um, with early childhood carers, so it is important that we do consider this with all our patients that come in the door.
0: So the causes are varied and
1: multifactorial. Let's talk about this for a moment. There's so many factors that cause uh, early childhood carers. In many cases it can be a, a perfect storm of multiple factors. I think it's much too simplistic to say that it's just due to sugars and I think there's a lot of stigma attached that parents think oh it's just coke or lollies if I'm not giving my child coke or lollies the teeth are going to be fine. Um, But caries occurs when there's a biofilm or plaque build up on the teeth and then when this biofilm is frequently exposed to carbohydrates. When you've got this prolonged uh, exposure to carbohydrates you get a loss of mineral from the tooth and then you get a hole in the tooth.
0: So you've mentioned
1: some risk factors, tell us about the known risk factors. So obviously we've got the dietary risk factors, we've got our really obvious sugars, um, our simple sugars, our lollies, chocolates, cakes and biscuits, but any carbohydrate can be a risk factor and we find children who are grazers are much at higher risk of caries than those who've got routine meals, especially those who are eating processed convenience foods with. Uh, extra sugars or a lot of fruit sugars like raisins, dried fruit, muesli bars and kids who are having sugar sweetened beverages, especially between meals, are at at huge risk. And we're getting a lot of alternative foods these days with um, alternative sugars that are maybe marketed as refined sugar free, but they do still have sugars in them. And a lot of alternative milks are not protective like bovine milks. We do need to be careful of those. Another risk factor um, for younger children is prolonged on-demand nocturnal feeding. This is usually kids over 18 months, and it can be a real risk factor for caries, especially in young toddlers who are waking up multiple times a night to feed. Um, And obviously we've got protective factors like brushing, and children who are under the age of six or seven who are brushing unsupervised are also at a higher risk. I see a whole new spate of decay coming in otherwise carries free children who take over the brushing by themselves and just drop the ball. You've mentioned
0: nocturnal feeding. When should we be telling patients to stop bottle feeding and go on to a cup?
1: Bottle feeding, if we can stop that, especially when the molars come through, I think it's hard to give an age because some children are a lot more advanced. But as soon as a child is able to take a cup, we'd much prefer them having a cup than a bottle. And any type of on-demand feeding overnight um, over 18 months can be a risk. Obviously that can be a difficult subject to approach with with some parents, but I think if they are on-demand feeding at night, just making sure that they're having some water afterwards, wiping the teeth and that they are being
0: regularly reviewed by a dentist just to make sure that there's no consequences of that feeding. So you've mentioned consequences. Let's talk about the consequences of early childhood dental disease.
1: Well, dental caries is one of the most common causes of admission to a hospital for children in New Zealand. And that's usually for having elective treatment under general anaesthetic, but we still do a large numbers of children have emergency anaesthetics for facial swellings. But many children are experiencing pain, infection, and then obviously hospitalisation. And we're talking in the thousands of preschoolers every year, even just in Auckland alone, having anaesthetics for teeth. And pain from the teeth obviously decreases nutritional intake. Kids are getting interrupted sleep and there's reduced concentration from school. And I think a lot of these kids are probably in more pain than they're letting
0: on as well. Talking fluoride now, there is amongst the general population at times concern about fluoride. I wonder what your feelings are on fluoride? My
1: feelings obviously as a dentist are very pro-fluoride. It makes a a big difference, especially on a population level. So for the general population, water fluoridation is great. It's great that kids are using fluoride in toothpaste it inhibits the demineralization of the tooth, it promotes remineralization of the tooth, and even at some concentrations can inhibit bacterial metabolism. So it's going to make a stronger, more robust tea. Children in areas with fluoridated water do have better oral health outcomes. On an individual level, it's great to have fluoride in the toothpaste. Obviously that's an individual choice for each family and we can only advise the benefits of fluoride i think for those who choose not to be using fluoride in the toothpaste uh, that's their choice but we've just got to really advise other protective factors I also find with the toothpaste we're getting a lot of patients now who are not so worried about the fluoride and the toothpaste it's other chemicals so maybe suggesting to them that there's other alternative more natural toothpaste they could use but
0: still have fluoride in it that's a great compromise you've mentioned fluoridated toothpaste there are children's toothpaste and adult toothpaste what are you advising here
1: New Zealand's great because the recommendations are really simple across the board. We want toothpaste with at least a thousand parts per million. Uh, In New Zealand, that's most toothpaste marketed at children, except those ones that say my first toothpaste was zero to three years. So I don't expect children to be using adult toothpaste. Most of them can't deal with the spicy taste of it. But as long as they're using one for six year old plus, um, that's great for their teeth
0: and how much toothpaste should be on the brush?
1: For a toddler, we just want a really small smear. For a three to five year old, maybe half a pea size, and for older children, a pea size amount of toothpaste. What about dental floss? I think flossing's great. If parents are motivated to floss, awesome. If it's something that they can incorporate into their everyday routine, uh, once a child is four, three, four years or older, that's wonderful. For children who it's a real battle to brush their teeth. I don't want parents to feel worried that then they've got a floss on top. I think once we've got the brushing twice a day done well, then we can introduce other things like flossing.
0: There have been lots of initiatives to try and decrease the burden of disease and there's been an in-school toothbrushing program, I understand, in Northland to try and address inequity in the Maori and Pacific Island groups. Can you tell us about this initiative?
1: So Northland's got one of the highest caries rates
0: in the country.
1: They also don't have fluoride in the water. I think a lot of families are possibly under other stresses, especially in the morning, and may not remember to consistently brush teeth at home. So the study looked at a school-based approach to brushing, um, and it showed that school-based programs can really have a positive um, outcome on children's oral health quality of life. And it's great because we do need to look at other ways of introducing positive oral health behaviors. I don't think... What we're doing now is working, so we've really got to think out the box of ways to engage these children, and then hopefully we're setting them up with positive behaviours that then they'll carry out at home and maybe even share with their family members.
0: There was another study done looking at adolescents, Pacific Island adolescents particularly. Tell us about this one.
1: So we know from multiple studies that Pacific children and adolescents have higher caries rates than their peers. Um, And there's so many barriers to care for members of this community. While dental care is free for adolescents and children in New Zealand, you first got to enroll your child in a service and then take them to appointments. And this can be really difficult for many families. I think if they've had high caries rates as young children, they may have had significant dental experience, they may now have other anxieties and fears around the dentist. But not just Pacifica adolescents, but I find many families from a variety of backgrounds are maybe not aware that dental care is free for their teenagers and they don't know how to go about finding a dentist who's got a government contract because it's not every dentist that sees teenagers for free. And I think, like many of us, sometimes families just don't realize how long it's actually been since they've taken their child to a dentist. So if GPs could just mention it and remind families that the consult appointments, I think that would be great.
0: From a dental point of view and as a paediatric dentist, what would you like us as GPs to do to help you? Well thank you for asking, this is my favourite question. I think
1: GPs and primary healthcare workers are in such a great position, they see children so many times in their first couple of years at life, before they've probably seen the dental nurse and before they've seen a dentist for sure. It would be great if they could just take a couple of minutes just to ask about frequency of sugar consumption, nocturnal feeding, oral hygiene practices, and just checking if a patient has seen the dentist. A lot of children are enrolled at the dentist and some of our dental services have great enrolment figures but we need them to actually be going and seeing the dentist um, and it would be great if gps could get in the habit of looking in children's mouths if they're looking in the mouth for any other reason just having a look at the teeth seeing if they can see any discoloration any brown spots or large plaque deposits because i really see you guys as a, a massive asset in fighting caries in young children as they likely to see you guys Alternatively, a lot of risk factors for dental are also obesity risk factors, so it's great in terms of overall health if we can just go through these things. Perfect.
0: And then when we have concerns, Katie, who should we be referring to? So the first port of call in Auckland is the Auckland Regional Dental Service
1: or the Community Service. I'm not sure. They've all got different names and different DHBs. That was previously known as the School Dental Service, so we'd all remember as the dental nurse at school. In Auckland, parents can call 800 talk Teeth for more information, Um, but in other DHBs I'm sure the health pathways will show how to get in touch with the local school
0: dental clinic. And if families are wanting reputable resources, where do we direct them? So we can
1: look at the New Zealand Dental Association, they've got great information on oral health for infants and toddlers. Our Kids' Teeth website's got a blog on it that parents can have a look through. Uh, Wider Matter DHB in Auckland runs the school dental service, so they've got a lot of information more about where to go and and things like that. And in terms of the biggest body of the paediatric dentists, that's the American Association of Paediatric Dentists, obviously there'll be some Americanisms in there and everything's a bit shinier, but there will be some good
0: information there for parents too. And Katie, to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners?
1: So what I'd really like everyone to know is early childhood caries is a massive issue in New Zealand and all children could potentially be at risk, so it's keeping that in mind for everyone we see. It's one of the most common reasons for a child to be admitted to hospital in New Zealand, so it's not just dental, it really comes in overall health. I'd love it just if the nurse or the GP could ask if the patient has been seen by the dentist and check that they've been recently to the clinic and they can go at any age. And just ask about the frequency and amount of carbohydrates that kids are consuming. And as I said, that's great for obesity prevention too. And on the vein of prevention, it's a preventable disease. Prevention's the key. So if we can get in there before lesions develop, that's, that's where we need to be doing our biggest work.
0: Thank you, Katie. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. There will also be a list of resources that Katie's mentioned in this podcast on our website. Thank you for listening.